everyone, welcome back. Uh, here we are with the new setup. Um, hope you guys you like it. Uh, believe it or not, this has actually taken a fairly large amount of time to set up, uh, and I'll be doing other things similar to this in the future. So feel free to leave me your comments about how much you absolutely hate it. Uh, I love hearing about how much everyone hates the stuff I do. It, it gives me motivation to, I don't know, jump off a cliff or something. Moving on. This is going to be a weird episode, uh, probably a short one, because we're looking at an episode. Well, Random Thought is arguably the textbook example of a rushed episode. Even more so than other episodes I could name, like, say, Shades of Grey over on TNG. This episode... <clears throat> well, let me put it to you this way. I have less to say in-universe, in-character about this episode than I do out-of-character from the production standpoint. In fact, I think I only have like two thoughts about this from an in-character perspective, so take of that what you will. Let's go ahead and get over this real quick, okay? The very first script that was put in was designed to be a message about how... If you encounter violence in media, you will then be more prone to acting out violent acts yourself. I usually refer to this concept as a dumb concept because it's incredibly stupid and I don't mind admitting my opinion on that matter because it's freaking dumb so we're already tripping it we haven't even gotten to the gate yet to start this race and already it's like oh I got shot in the leg by a random stranger so yeah that was the initial premise of this episode now if you look at this episode you could probably see where that kind of comes into this one but they looked at it and said no 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 Let's go ahead and do this. So it was given over to a second author, second writer. And the second writer pretty much rewrote the script to suit what uh, they felt. I'm not going to drop names here. You can look it up if you want. What they felt was the best way to go ahead and, and present a message. And it's worth noting that every writer that touched this episode, and there's more than the two, all wanted to get across a message. I've made my point clear about message episodes of Star Trek. It's something they've done since the original series. It's something that's an intrinsic part of Star Trek. I understand that. Sometimes they do a decent job of it. Sometimes they do a good job of it. Sometimes they do a really bad job of it. And then sometimes there's this episode, which doesn't do a job of it at all. So that brings me to the second point, which was the concept of censorship using what is usually referred to as the prohibition argument. For those of you who don't know, a lot of people who claim censorship, like all forms of censor censorship, always is bad point to the Prohibition era and saying, you censored alcohol, and therefore everything got worse. Now, that is true. Alcohol was, was uh, you know, illegalized, and then things got really bad really fast. But that was a far more complicated situation than people tend to make it out to. It wasn't just because they were censoring alcohol. There were a lot of factors involved in that. And when they finally undid it, it things didn't actually get better so much as they just kind of slowly decayed. You know, it's it's more of a gray topic than people tend to think, but my point is a lot of people who think censorship is a good thing or a bad thing tend to use the prohibition argument to either support or uh, de decry their own statement. And so he was like, you know, we must show how censoring violence makes everyone much more violent and is a terrible thing. Now, unlike the previous topic of, you know, <clears throat> encountering violence makes you violent, I am going to not actually discuss the topic at all, or even give my opinion on the idea of censorship, because doing so would very likely lead to me violating one of my own rules on this show, which is to not discuss certain types of topics on my show. 
because it's impossible to discuss something like censorship without drifting into a lot of those topics. So we're just going to leave that one lie. If you want to give me your opinions on it, go for it, as ever I encourage you. I love reading comments on these episodes. But yeah. So then, um, I, I don't want to go over all the lists, but then about six other writers got involved. Uh, some credited, mostly uncredited, and just kind of rewrote it and rewrote it and rewrote it. This is, and I mentioned this was a rushed episode, this episode was being rewritten still when they already started filming it. This is right up there with Basics Part 2 as far as constant rewrites of the script. But the problem there was they were rewriting specific changes in how things unfolded. In this episode, they kept rewriting dialogue without really changing much as far as the con construction of the episode. And it shows. It really shows. Now, <clears throat> you guys know that I really like to show my work, at least when I can. It's one of the reasons I like doing lore runs over my streams, because I can point to whatever's on the screen at the time and say, that, that's what I'm talking about. Um, I want you to... If you've watched this episode or recently or have it in your memory, think of the scene where Tom is talking to Chakotay on the bridge. That scene demonstrates everything wrong with this episode in one quick nutshell. Because it's not actually a bad scene. This is not actually a bad episode. It's just a wrong episode. And the thing is, you might be like, well, what, are they out of character? Well, no, that's the problem. If they were fully out of character, it would just drift into bad territory. They are, they are inconsistent from line to line. Their individual lines do not match up with the line they say before or after that line. There's different sentence structure, there's different tonality, there's difference in, in the way they're portraying themselves. So sometimes they are fully in character and sometimes they aren't. And you could tell that the director and actors really tried to do something with this because this is a semi-common problem, uh, especially in television uh, when you've got a rushed script. And the script it hasn't been polished or uh, doctored or, or anything like that. And so sometimes uh, the directors and actors will come through and say, well, let's go with a consistent tone. But the problem is, in a case like this, the, the actual tone of the lines is like this. So if you're trying to do, portray all these lines like this, you could see how it just is wrong, which is why I say that instead of bad or, or other, otherwise. The actors do a decent job of trying to make this terrible script work. But God, it's just... Ah, it is all over the place. Uh, and this is true for every single character, uh, Tom, Balana, uh, Tuvok, and of course, Beator, or whatever the heck her character's name is. Uh, by the way, for those of you who didn't know, this is actually the woman who played one of the Duras sisters, the, the main guest star, the policewoman. I'm just curious how many people recognize that. I freely admit I didn't recognize it visually, but the voice gave it away almost immediately. I was like, wait a minute! Oh my god! You know, I couldn't remember, I believe I never picked up on that before. I want to give her some credit. She does a really good job of this. It's no wonder why she kept coming back as the Dura sister uh, rather than being recast. She did a really good job of that. She has some good uh, range and potential interacting. And I feel like she did a really good portrayal of the... Well, it, it, see, the funny thing is, it, again, it's that inconsistency. Because sometimes she's portraying stuck-up bureaucrat. Sometimes she's portraying obstacle to the crew. Sometimes she's portraying romantic interest for Tuvok, which both comes out of nowhere and then goes nowhere. But the portrayal I like most, and the one I feel she really nailed, was woman who genuinely believes, believes, like in her heart, in the core concept of how her society works, the very structure of her societal fabric, or at least how she views it working, and therefore when confronted with the failure of that, is genuinely distraught at the idea that she has been wrong, or the thing that she has esteemed and put up on a pedestal is flawed. 
And I like that portrayal right there. She does a really good job with that, too, and there are several scenes which support that. But then there's other scenes where she's just a brick wall. And again, no offense to the actress. It's all the, it's all the script. It is all the script. Seriously. Now, I, I mentioned script doctoring before. I want to talk about that briefly because one of the things I've said many, 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 many times when cons uh, consulting people on their own written works is read it out loud, okay? A lot of writing, when you write it down, you're, you basically, it, it, I always consider the first thing I write my first draft. I almost never write something and then submit it or consider it done or whatever. I almost always rewrite it or re-rewrite it to polish it, right? Most writers do this. <clears throat> Some do it more than I do. Um, but the point here is, what, if you type something up and you read it, when you read it in your head, it actually sounds different, and and the structure is different than if you read it out loud. So if you, uh, and this is most especially important when writing dialogue. If you want to write dialogue, say it out loud. Saying it out loud helps you to to get the structure better, to make it flow naturally. So much of the dialogue in this episode feels like a script rather than people actually talking. A problem that Star Trek has had on, from time to time and will have a lot in Enterprise Season 1 and 2. But at the same time, they also tend to get uh, the, the, that kind of dialogue really well. Where naturally, even Voyager has really natural dialogue between a lot of characters because you read it out loud and you, you doctor it. You, 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 you massage the script, basically, in order to get those lines just the right nuance so it actually sounds like people talking rather than people reading which is a huge difference and noticeable to anybody paying even the tiniest bit of attention. And, of course, it's worth noting not everyone can write dialogue. That's how script doctoring tends to come in, or an editing is another way to do this. An editor comes in and says, okay, you know, I'm good at... Uh, they bring in an editor whose entire job is rewriting the dialogue to sound more like dialogue. They keep the uh, intent and purposes and some of the pronouns and whatnot, but otherwise they make it flow more naturally. But that's why I call this a rushed script, not a bad script. Dumb initial premise, but I think they could have done something with it, especially with several of the ways the rewrites were going, because the script just didn't have a chance to be flushed out. There was no polishing done of the script. It literally reads like a first draft script, and that's because it kind of is. I mean, granted, it's like the 20th draft script, because like I said, they kept rewriting it, but the point is they never actually got to the polishing state. They were rewriting it as in rewriting the core script rather than, okay, now let's make it better, if you understand the difference between the two. Forgive me for talking about this so much. I just think this is interesting and probably one of the best examples of this like it, that I can think of off the top of my head. I'm sure there's other better examples if I come across them, but this is a real, really, really good example of this kind of thing. Um, yeah, so I, <laughs> I only have a few more points. Most of them are but just re reaffirming what I already talked about. For example, Tom Paris is just wrong in so many scenes. There are individual... This is one of the few episodes where I can say I like a line or two rather than a scene. The scene between Tom and Chakotay is wrong, but there are some lines in that that I actually really like. Uh, the way that he Tom is... Tom talks about this thing, Chakotay basically jokes with him, and then Tom says, I'm serious about this, Chakotay, and Chakotay's response is, I am too. You get a decent plan together. Janeway fails on this. We'll make it work. I like that line. And the very next line is, by the way, I let you sit in the captain's chair, but she's the one in charge. That's a dumb line. And it is a line, too. It could have been, I, I could just, I could think right off the top of my head, a better way to polish it would be, by the way, don't be getting any good at, don't be getting any big ideas, or don't get a big head, or something like that. Just a nice little throwaway comment there to keep the mood light, which is what Chakotay was trying to do to help uh, Tom calm down. 
but also reads less like something from a frickin' reading, you know, you know what I mean? And, and that's still a bad line, the one I just gave, but the point is it's still better, even though I came up with it out, off, right off the top of my head. Moving on. Um, and then we have the really, really bad Seven and Neelix scene, which is, I, I don't even, it's not Neelix, it's not Seven, it's just bad, and you can tell it was literally only included for one reason. This is several episodes after Seven, uh, Seven has been introduced to the show. Seven has now had... And I mention that because production has obviously done way in advance in a television show. Uh, I mean, to give an example, I'm recording this in March. Early March. You should be watching this in April. <laughs> you know, this is very common, uh, This what, what I'm doing. And, and this is especially true when you have more than one person involved. So... But I, I mentioned that this is well in because by now, you know, the, the point at which they were making this episode, some of the first episodes of Seven's Four had started coming out, and they'd started getting feedback on them. And unfortunately, that turned out to be a really bad thing in this case. I'll talk about the real reason why later, but the problem is Seven of Nine, Seven, Anna Kahans, whatever you want to call her, was a very popular character for many reasons. She was engaging, she was interesting, uh, the actress does a great job of her, she is attractive, I'm going to admit that a lot of people liked her just because she looks hot and she's in a leotard. But the point is, for many different reasons, she was a very popular character. And that's why she's in this episode. She contributes nothing to it. She has no role in this episode other than to show up for a really bad scene and then a worse one. I'll get to the worse one later. Uh, and then we have, obviously, Creepy Guy. You know, they say his name in the episode, but I can't for the life of me remember it. I didn't even write it down. Obviously, Creepy Guy is another example of why stuff like this doesn't actually make sense logically and why the structure of the episode doesn't really hold up to even a little bit of scrutiny. If you look at a... I don't really want to go into this, especially since I'm kind of on a timer here, but I, if you look at a society like this one and, and, and examine it and, and look over the fine details of how they work and how they function, someone like him would never, ever be able to actually f keep what he does hidden because it is so blatantly obvious that he is such a creep. Now, that's the that, that that's kind of down to the directing in this case. There, there's some amateur directing going on all over the place. Uh, not bad directing, just new directing. Someone who's obviously not that experienced with it. But he just portrays someone who's like, I can't wait to hear your violent thoughts. You know, it's just, ugh. The mere fact that Taurus... A half Klingon, half human, could tell that he wanted something from her mentally, kind of makes my point for me. But of course, she didn't realize that until she was in a mind meld, which can be made to make sense, but let's just be honest, it wasn't designed that way. It was just poorly written. This whole episode was not really well thought out. But again, it's because it was written by so many people. So too many different ideas trying to clash into each other. Speaking of things that don't make logical sense, a lot, I, I, I'm going to try really hard not to nitpick, but this one bugged me. There is one Vulcan on the entire planet, and they're on the Starship Voyager, which has some of the best sensors ever, at least in, in, in Starfleet. And they can't detect the one Vulcan on the planet, and they never even say why it is. They just imply that it's because he removed his comm badge. And because he removed his comm badge, he is now invisible. Just... You can scan for life forms. You can scan for specific type of life forms. You can scan for life forms in another sector. That just really bugged me. And and the reason okay, the reason it bugged me is because it is bad writing. 
It is an artificial dilemma that exists only for the sole and explicit purpose of engendering a false threat. A false ticking clock, if you will. In other words, oh god, we can't find Tuvok, because if we could, then we would have already solved the problem. Rather than creating any actual dilemma or any actual tension, Tuvok, oh, by the way, speaking of things that bug me, Tuvok, a well-trained, well, uh, well-disciplined security officer who makes it a point to be really good at hand-to-hand combat, and is a Vulcan and therefore much stronger than most people, gets overpowered by two violent thought junkies from the pacifist planet. What? And don't tell me that was part of his plan. He made clear what his plan was. He should have curb stomped them. Or, oh, I don't know, done this. You know, you know this thing? Eh, maybe. Ah, but anyway, both of those things are bug me so much, not just because it's it's inconsistent, but because it is bad writing. It is trying to push the narrative into a corner so that all the logical ways this, the, the dilemma could be solved quickly can't. And that way we have that artificial clock. In other words, oh my god, they're operating on Taurus. Be worried. Okay, now we've resolved it. I hate that kind of writing. Moving on. Um, there are... Th- I've only got three more thoughts here. Well, four, really. <coughs> oh, excuse me. I do like one scene, just one scene, where the whole scene is actually good. It's when Tuvok decides to mind meld with, obviously, Creepy Guy and share his violent thoughts with him. Except he doesn't share his violent thoughts with him, he shares his violence with him. I love this because this is the only thing I feel that really gets across a proper message in the whole episode. There is a huge difference between violent thoughts, which can be interesting or attractive or... Even, like, addictive in their own way. People play violent video games, or watch violent movies, or read violent books, or listen to violent music, or whatever. And they can enjoy that. People can derive enjoyment from that. Because it's fake. It's not real. Speaking as someone who understands what real violence feels like, I can tell you rather definitively that real violence is very different. Real violence, and Tuvok almost says what I'm about to say word for word. Real violence is ugly. Real violence is dark. Real violence hurts. And so Tuvok melds with him to get across the best message he probably could. He actually, and I feel like he, it's just my impersonation, and and from what I've read about Tim Russ, he agrees with me on this. Um, Tuvok does this not just to win this, this battle, not just to free himself from these guys, but specifically because he wants to show this man how wrong his mindset is. Because real violence is horrible. And so he milds with him to literally directly inflict real violence upon him. And the man, credit to the man, I mean, I don't want to bash the actor. He does a good job of an obviously creepy guy. But that scene where he is basically being tortured through the mind melt, he does a great job of portraying someone who is like, ah, oh, this is great. Ah, oh, this is this is not great. This is horrible. Oh, my God. Oh, and just as, as it just overwhelms him because he has no idea how to deal with it because he never had to deal with real violence before, right? He has never had to experience that before, and now he is, and it's just he can you can see in his eyes and the way he's portraying it. Oh my God, this is horrible! And I love that scene. It's probably like I said, it's the only good scene in the whole episode. So definite props on that one. They also have one successful callback in the script. I feel like one person went in and wrote in all these lines because early on they have a whole discussion between Tuvok and Beator about the brig and why the brig is a barbaric thing. 
And then she tells them, we are more civilized than you. We will not you we will not leave your person in solitary confinement. And I think there's like one other somewhere in the episode where it's called back to. I can't remember exactly. But then right at the end, you know, she asks, you know, where is, you know, oh my God, you, you've, under the, where is, where is he? And Tuvok says, we have him in our brig. And you look, the expression on his face and on hers is perfect. Because not only is it a successful callback, but one of the reasons Tuvok listed, and, and this is why I think it was written by the same person here, one of the reasons uh, Tuvok listed for having it is, if there's an alien on board that may do harm to our crew. There's a paraphrasing. And so the way he says it makes it clear that that's exactly why he is in their brig. And her expression makes it clear that she realizes, finally, that he had a damn point. I like that. And then there's a coda. There's actually two codas on this episode, but the last one is the one I'm talking about. Again, the only reason this scene is in there is because Seven was popular. Seven shows up out of nowhere, having had exactly one and a half scenes prior to this, where she contributed and accomplished nothing. She was a, she was literally an observer to the events of the episode, and she comes out of nowhere and says, "I am you know the I am Borg," and Janeway says, "Well, I'm human," and the two and and it's it's oh God, it's so dumb. It's it's written to be a Seven learns something about humanity scene. But it fails miserably because it is so poorly written and it's so clearly tacked on. Like the earlier episode, like the earlier uh, dialogue between her and Neelix, it's so clearly apparent that it was literally thrown in by another writer, specifically to get Seven in the episode because she was popular. I could see the scene actually working if it was a little bit better presented and a lot better written. That being said, I don't want to sound like I'm bashing Kate Mulgrew because I actually think she does a pretty good job with it. She has a great, uh, she has one line she delivers really well, which is uh, something along the lines of, if everyone on this crew agreed with me, I'd be a bad day or something like that. So I only have one last thing to talk about, and this is going to be a brief thing because I'm kind of on a timer, like I said. I find the idea of a telepathic society interesting because it, it would change everything about everything. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I enjoy the massive amount of, of backstory and culture I put into the Scions in the Primus campaign. is because it's an entire society of people who communicate with each other instantaneously and perfectly through their minds, which changed everything about the way their culture and society had d developed, both literally in terms of technological and magical progression, and in terms of their cultural norms and societal norms and all that kind of thing. I mention this here because, even though it's an interesting concept, I feel this episode completely fails on that concept, because these people are clearly designed to be straw men, and well, straw men of multiple points, and on different sides of the argument, depending on who, which writer's in charge at the moment. So they're not really well fleshed out, and they don't really have a culture, per se, other than police state, enlightened elitism, and uh, we also happen to be telepaths, and that's kind of it. They don't really do anything with it, is what I'm trying to say. To contrast this, Betazoids, which are already a telepathic race, actually they actually did a fair amount with the culture of the Betazoids to actually expl explore what it's like to be there. For example, some people snicker at the fact that Betazoids tend to walk around in the nude on their planet, but two things come to mind immediately about this. Number, uh, now, I know, I know, it's not common for them to walk around nude. They, they have concepts of that. But the point is, if you see a nude Betazoid, it's not really a big deal. Yes, I know they do it at their weddings. I'm talking about other than that. The point is, if you see a nude Betazoid, it's not a big deal because from their cultural perspective, what exactly is clothes going to hide that they're not going to be, that their mind is not going to be already sharing? They have such a society, in other words, such a societal normality of openness, 
and of being willing to uh, express themselves and empathize with others and basically not have deceit, put everything out on display, that doing so physically is a natural manifestation of that. It's also one of the reasons why that does make sense for the marriage ceremony. The, very, the idea of wearing clothes at a marriage ceremony between two betazoids is the kind of thing that honestly would feel like a slap in the face to that kind of culture, at least in my estimation, because you're hiding something from the other person. It may not be a big deal to you, or maybe not as a, as a non-Betazoid, but from a Betazoid perspective, that's like, well, what, are, are you unwilling to share this with me, you know? Are you unwilling to be open about this? Do you see where I'm going with this? And there's other things about Betazoid society I could talk about, like uh, the way they were, t took some time to be convinced to come into the Starfleet, among other things. But the overall point is, Star Trek's already done the telepathic society thing, and done it a lot better than this. And as I mentioned previously in... Uh, Oh, what was that episode? The dumb episode. Scientific Method. Um, if you've already got a premise that's already been done in your own sh in your own franchise, and it's been done better, you gotta work extra hard to make it work. And getting eight writers together, and just throwing something together, that, that's not gonna work. Anyway, speaking of throwing something together, I hope you enjoy this. I have admittedly kind of thrown this together. I'm gonna do something a little bit different in the future. Regardless... Oh, wait. There we go. Regardless... I'll see you next time. Why would any of my people want to indulge in that kind of behavior? Apparently, outlawing violent thought hasn't made it go away. All you've done is force people to share it in back alleys. It seems you have a somewhat more serious problem than the random thoughts of a single alien. Even if I believed you, I'm not sure anyone else would. Then I suggest you interrogate Will yourselves. His anger-matic record will undoubtedly confirm what I've told you. Where is he now? We have him confined. In our brig.